This is a post-Christian podcast. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Sacred Collective. Um, we're doing this via Skype because we're all quarantined to our respective uh, residents. Um, and it's me and Caleb and and Harley all the way down from Corpus Christi, Texas, joining us. Yep, yep. So welcome. Thank you for joining us, Harley. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, um, Harley's becoming a fixture of Sacred Collective and other post-Christian podcasts now. Harley's all over the place. I know we we love it. You're taking over. I love it. No way. <laughs> um, I just like be, I like being a part. I like it. Hell yeah! Oh, we, we love, love having you. Um, I think one thing I wanted to kind of jump in a couple parts. It's Holy Saturday, and I think a lot of times um, dealing within like the, the whole understanding of Easter. Many people just think of Good Friday or Monday, Thursday, and then they think of Easter, you know, as resurrection. But people um, forget Holy Saturday, that that's an important, I don't know, event situation within the whole, you know, story. Um, but uh, Harley, I don't know if you heard us talking about, but on the Instagram live, but actually my friend Scotty, who is a minister in um, Switzerland, he has a church. And he asked me to do their homily um, for their social distance worship. And he more or less wanted me to look at, like, God is dead, kind of using that understanding and using it almost more of, like, like an atheistic thing where, like, we're God's dead. Um, so I'll get to that in a little bit, but I think the part that I wanted to kind of talk about first is on lament. Um, lamenting part of, like, you know, this whole thing with COVID-19 but then also like lamenting um, the whole understanding of resurrection of Easter, how we deal with that. But I mean, I guess first let's just jump in of uh, what do we know of lament kind of just to tease it out. What do, what do we understand lament to be at least in the old Testament context? I think being bummed out, being low, being sad, being, you know, having hard times befall you feel. And uh, maybe uh, also in the Old Testament and kind of this might tie into the death of God thing and and, and it being uh, being the day that it is that we're recording this on. We're recording this on uh, on Saturday. But uh, is feeling abandoned. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the, like David talks a lot in the like, Psalms about uh, like, where are you, God? You know, like, I don't, I don't see you. You know, what's going on here? Um, and feeling, feeling abandoned by God and then, you know, Jesus on the cross uh, feeling abandoned by God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Very powerful uh, accusation or or uh, observation, you know. Um, so yeah, I guess yeah, feeling 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 lost, feeling lack, feeling abandonment, something like that. Mm-hmm, totally. How about you, Harley? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, I think it's that it's that in, a lot of what Caleb's saying is that, but the the spiritual practice of lamentation is what I think of, like. The idea of like integrating it into your practice that it's not only uh, celebrate like you were saying earlier about the holidays we remember are like Easter or we remember the resurrection but we don't pass through Saturday we kind of like jump over mm-hmm. Saturday into the stuff that we're happy about and so that setting in and that that it's built into the calendar um, kind of makes me think of the the Psalms like you had mentioned and just the idea of um, it's really kind of okay to not be okay. Uh, that phrase that's being rotated around a whole lot, but really setting into uh, your uh, your place of that darkness, you know, that that lack of lack of light um, as a as a holy thing. So that's what I think of with with lamenting. Yeah, and I I think of lamenting too, it, kind of a combination of what you guys have all said too. But um, I look at lamenting as a spiritual practice that far too many. Christians just fail to do. Um, we're given, I mean, we're given permission in Scripture, in essence, to do it. Um, I mean, you look at almost the whole Psalms. I mean, how many are there? Like 150 Psalms? And I think over half of those 150 are all laments mm-hmm. for whatever whatever reason. And like also, like, um, Lamentations is a whole book 
about that. You know, Ecclesiastes is pretty pretty bleak in a lot of ways too. So, I mean, there's sections of scripture that are given to people to read that are like, hey, not everything in life is, you know, roses. And, you know, sometimes life's going to suck. And sometimes you're going to have to lament. And I just, am, you know, as a 37-year-old, I don't understand why so many people, especially in the church, and even even this goes beyond, like, transcends, you know, religious people, uh, or not just religious people, but religion, and it goes to, like, anybody, you know, it doesn't matter if you believe in a God or not. Like, we just don't lament because I feel like... When do you think that started? I mean, because we know it's back... We know the background, like, it's kind of, like, built into the system of being human. But, I mean, do you feel like we cut that limb off at some point? Of lamenting? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think there's a lot within... I mean, I can't pinpoint it to, to when, but obviously somewhere in the... You know, through the millennia, people thought it was... People thought it was, um, I don't know, probably not needing to lament Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Maybe it made them look weak. Amanda joined us. Hello. Hey, Amanda. What's up? Hello. Um, So, and I I think, Carly, going back to what you were saying, um, that I think it kind of just went through, like, back in the centuries of, of people just probably thinking, like, oh, that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of doubt because how many of us who grew up in the church, you know, thought like, oh, doubt, that's bad. It's going to, you know, bring you farther away from God. And I think that lament and and just going through the suffering or, or all that stuff kind of played into that. And people just kind of walked away from it. And people were just like, well, let's not deal with that anymore. And I would say probably within the last, I don't know, couple decades You've seen a lot more people in the church, at least in probably more mainline or Protestant or uh, progressive churches. You know, people are like, "Yeah, you know, we can lament and and we need to lament." Um, and I think kind of kind of going into the next part of um, can I tag something on before you change subjects? Oh yeah, go for it. Go um, for it. Jump in, anybody. Do y'all think that the what Harley's referring to with like the turning away from the tradition and the practice of lamentation? Do, do y'all think that that might tie in at all with like prosperity gospel like maybe that momentum could bleed in to prosper could have bled into the creation of prosperity gospel kind of mentality in evangelical christianity or or maybe even even uh, the prosperity gospel could have even amplified that if we're trying to say when that shift happened that, that harley's kind of was referring to like do you think is, is that kind of a parallel like the idea of oh no you need to be happy you don't need to you know, um, sit in your sadness, like, you know, like smile, Jesus loves you, you know, smile. I remember in so- being raised Southern Baptist in Kentucky, um, like I, and, and being a chronically, you know, depressed, uh, kid. And like at that time, honestly, I had like suicidal tendencies and, and I self-harmed a lot and stuff like that. And so I was a real sad kid. And, um, I remember like one day, uh, walking into Walmart and, um, passing a, a guy who was our neighbor, nice, nice enough guy, um, a deacon at the church. Uh, and, I was just real down. I was just like real sad and just kind of walking, looked real sad. And he saw me through the parking lot and he said, Caleb, smile. Jesus loves you. And I just, was, I just wanted, I just wanted to punch him in the face. And he, I think he thought he was like trying to, you know, s- to spread some cheer, or, you know, be positive or something. But it was just like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like I'm, I'm, you know, really, really just torn up and sad right now, you know, like, right. But that's that mentality of like you're supposed to be happy because you know be full of joy you know all count it all joy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's definitely an aspect of of you know maybe the prosperity gospel people hijacked it. Maybe all, all that. I mean, I I think and I've said this on the podcast before, but not for a long time. But like, I think when I really jumped in and understood lament and really probably put it into practice is when my dad died and you know not to do a deep dive but like you know i was interning at a church and you know he died at the church of a heart attack i found him and i remember you know having to go up and talk to you know tell my mom and my brother that you know my dad was dead which was you know no one should have to go through through that at all but I remember, like, growing up really charismatic and Pentecostal like I did, you know, and people are like, 
you know, speaking in tongues, if they were really speaking in tongues or if it was gibberish, that's another whole conversation. <laughs> but, That'd be an interesting you know, episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, people like praying and talking about, you know, talking to Jesus and doing all this other stuff. And I don't know what everything that I said, but my, and I, and I mean, this is, I, I don't think I've ever felt closer to God when I said this, but the only thing that I was like, for some apparent reason, we went into the nursery of this church, which is like right in the, I mean, he died actually in the bathroom um, of a heart attack. And so this nursery was right next to the room where the bathroom was and everyone was huddled in there praying. People were like intercessing and all this stuff. And the only thing that went through my head over and over was fuck you. And that's literally the only thing that went into my head. And I just was just like, fuck you. Fuck. I, I, I don't think I said the F word more times in my life than, than going through that. And clear as day, and I don't care if people think they hear from God or not, or they think that's not real, but I literally felt like this presence. And I really, I felt like, like someone was literally whispering into my ear at that time. It just gives me chills even talking about it. And I just felt like God, the spirit, whatever, it was just like, it's okay. I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm sorry that your dad, you know, has passed and you're not the only one that's ever going to be mad at me. So, you know, I can handle it more or less like mm-hmm. bring it on, you know, yeah. your, your pain is my pain. And ever since that moment, like anytime I feel like lamenting, whether I'm driving and I want to like yell or, you know, I'm just like in my room sad and I'm crying and I'm praying. You know, I, I, I think that we just that I mean, that's why I take solace in like Lamentations and in Ecclesiastes and in the Psalms. Because like like I said earlier, it gives us precedence when we're going through shitty times in our life and suffering that we can do that. And I mean, it took the death of my father for me to even think that that was okay. But ever since then, like 15 years ago, it's just like, hey, anytime shitty things happen in my life, I'm going to lament, and I don't care what, what anybody says. Yeah. yeah. How long ago was that, Brian, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, 15 years ago. It'll be wow. 15 years in June, at the end of June. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. That's intense, and that's intense to be in a charismatic space during that, to yeah. watch people trying oh, yeah. to, like, trying to physically change what you were taking as like it seems like uh, this is what's happening and it's real and it's and it's not gonna it's not gonna change and I'm gonna feel it I think I think you know like Caleb was saying maybe close to the prosperity gospel stuff it's an it's an uh, evasion of Mm -hmm. reality because if we can avoid like social justice or we can avoid racism or we can avoid war we can avoid pain by being rich, happy, and full of the spirit, then the question then is, is it the spirit at all? You know, um, if we're not willing to really feel the things that we're feeling um, and help each other get there, you know what I mean? Because, like, they should have, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, like, talk to the people that were there with you, but I'm thinking, why weren't they coming around you? Like, you know, like, and praying with you and saying, like, let's scream together and let's let's get, get a little... That lamentations. I love your connection of like it's not just the weeping, but the the fist on the pavement and the the like shouting in the car kind of thing too. It's the whole it's the whole gambit. And I mean, there's this there's times still where you know like every year, uh, like my dad's birthday is in March, and so luckily up here in Minnesota in March this year it was actually pretty nice and decent. But I went to, I mean, it was kind of a chilly rain, but I went to the gravesite, you know, just to pay my respects like I do. And and I mean, I I said a little, you know, talk to my dad, whether he can hear me or not, but I think it's just more for me to feel better, you know, and Amanda and Ava paid their respects too. And then they left because I was like, can I have some time? And of course I had a little talk with my dad, but then at the same time, I kind of looked up at the sky and I, and I just did, I said, fuck you. Like it, not that I'm mad at God, but I'm mad that my whole life I was told like, oh, good things are going to happen to you mm-hmm. if you're a Christian. And yeah, you know, you're, you're going to get sick. You're, you know, you might not get the job you want, you know, you might not marry this first girl or boy you date, 
But, you know, it's like literally he died at a church where I was interning, where I was going to try to get a job through this church or, you know, the denomination. And it's like all the stuff that I went to school for, all this theology and doctrine that was forced down my throat, like that one monumental life event happened and it like all came crashing down. And and I think that's what the church is so bad. And I would say even Protestant, progressive mainline churches are bad at that too. Like we're inclusive, we're you know we fight for you know gay rights and and against you know racism and bigotry and and, and all that stuff. But when it comes to like legit hurt and and shit that goes on, frankly, in our lives, we don't know what to do. And I don't know if that's just in the American context because that's what we are. Or or what? But it's just I'm always just like baffled why we as as people who are in our faith are just kind of like hmm shitty things are happening in our world or in my life I can't really rage against it because I'm a Christian and that looks bad. Yeah, I almost feel like in the church uh, lamenting is almost seemed as like this slippery slope of. You think of the words, you know, lament and sadness and doubt, and it's almost seen as a slippery slope. Like, well, if you let this negative thought in, it's going to take you over and it's going to do this and do that. And it's going to just snowball, you know, into something into something greater. But uh, it's but doubt's not a bad thing. Um, Like Brian has, you know, two tattoos on the back of um, each of his heels. One says faith and one says doubt because, you know, they kind of they go together. And I told Brian, I said, anything that's worth anything for you to do or believe in your life, you should have some doubt. I said, even in our marriage before we got married, married, if if either of us didn't have even just that small, tiniest little bit of doubt where you just really stop and think and examine is this right is this what i should do then you're just following blindly something you're not really digging deep and so doubt's not a bad thing it's but i feel like in the church it's almost like if you have doubt if you have if you have questions if you have uncertainty that um that you know you're just going to go deeper and deeper and you're going to drown in it you know, which which that isn't true. So it's I feel like the only time I've heard really in the church that like lamenting, you know, is OK is if somebody is sick, if someone's dying or you're praying and lamenting for something going on in your community or, you know, just things like that. But when it's something that's something that people might see as uncomfortable or very personal, then I feel like the church as a whole doesn't really do the greatest job yeah. at it, even though you hear people use the analogy all the time of, you know, the church being a place not for well people, but for sick people like a hospital. But then when you bring when you bring any kind of any kind of brokenness to the church, it's almost this kind of like, oh, well, we're not comfortable with that or, you know. What will people think, you know, if they see someone who goes to church here who's, you know, dealing with this or has this brokenness, they're going to think that, you know, we're not very good. And it's almost like an image issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want you to, to get your ducks in a row before you come back a lot of times, you know, or right. before you fully engage. Yeah, I um, I could speak to like a little bit of the maybe spaces in my own life where uh, lamenting was activated at church. Like, uh, I grew up, uh, Pentecostal similar to you guys at Symbols of God. And, uh, I was fortunate to have this like musician dude as the, as the youth leader. And he's an older guy. And we would do these sessions of like, um, what, what did we call it? I can't remember what he called it, but it was like basically like spiritual warfare, you know, but it was this really funky thing where, um, you got all the people around you and they handed you a microphone in the middle of this thing. It looked like a mosh pit, like a, like a big massive group. Of, there was probably like 50 or 60 kids at this group and everyone starts like shouting like positive things. And your only job is to like scream and let out like any like frustrations or things that are bugging you. And really like, I mean, he was like legit, like 
if you need to cuss or you need to be mad at God or you need to be whatever, in this space, you've got like 50 people around you that are like, we're going to walk you through it um, in this moment. And you get people in there that are just like processing grief, like really heavy, heavy stuff. And then afterwards, you know, you're covered in sweat and you're like looking at each other like, okay, I feel a little bit better, you know? Um, But at the same time, that was, that was Wednesday night with a bunch of like punks and like tattooed young people on Sunday morning in the same house. It was, let me, let me make you an extra hundred dollars by giving more to the church. Right. Like let's, you know, uh, be rich so we can show people what the love of God is like or whatever. Uh, just some tragic, uh, tragic like hypocrisy between two different services. At the same time, I can say like, that's a good reflection of, you know, a, a church processing lament at the same, like, uh, allowing for it and almost encouraging it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess pivoting to lament in like our context right now, not just in the church, but lamenting in our society, in our world right now, because we're all quarantining right now. We're all um, obviously having to totally change our life and what we're doing with this whole you know COVID-19 um how do you like how do you deal or how should we look at lament whether personally you speak speaking to that or even as a church and even as like a society in a world like what what should we do I mean I have my two cents but I want to bring it open to everyone else like what do you think an adequate thing to do is um I mean there's a lot of I can say just kind of setting the the context, I guess, to try to answer that question. Like, there's definitely a lot of people who are sad right now, uh, you know, um, rightly so. And it's a it's a really uh, decentering experience just to try to uh, to cope and to keep social interactions and stuff right now. Um, I'm not I'm not sure as far as like how to. I think I'm not sure exactly if you're asking to, how to properly lament. Um, but I mean, people are definitely. Uh, you know, sad and processing it in different ways. And I've communicated with a few friends who are definitely having a, a really hard time right now being in, in solitude, being isolated, you know, because they're not in a house with anybody else. Um, you know, each of you are at least with a partner. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough to, to be staying with some friends in a, in a house, uh, whereas normally I'd just be in my apartment. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of people who are just fully isolated right now and definitely going through a lot of lamentations of, of their own. That's for sure. Um, what, but what specifically are you asking, Brian? About you're saying like how how do we lament or how do we handle it? What were you specifically asking? Well, not, not, I mean, and that's the thing with lament. I don't think that there's a right way. There's not a right formula or how to do it. But I, I guess as as a, I mean, we can all lament in our own ways, like personally for the things we can and cannot do. But I mean, maybe even speaking for the church and you know even in a, as a country, how, how would we do it corporately? You know, is there, can we as a church corporately lament for what this has done, not just to like in, in person gatherings. And maybe I guess that's like a two part question and saying that first. And then, um, how do we deal with it? You know, corporately as like a nation. I, I think acknowledging that it's happening is a big deal. Um, in churches. Yeah. Uh, there's a temptation to just kind of go on like here's the next service here's the next theme let's just kind of keep it going there's almost a, an encouragement to do that as a as a show of faith which i think is very toxic oh absolutely yeah mm-hmm. to, to ignore it as a sign that like oh it's just going to keep going if we if we don't, don't talk about it so like that group group mourning you know group uh value of uh having vigil you know, I mean, you had mentioned there's there's so many people that are um, – there's a temptation. I have friends that are posting things like how many people have recovered, and I think that's important. But there's also this group attitude of like let's really acknowledge how many people we've lost as a – and I think yeah. this as a pandemic as opposed to just like an American virus or something that's happened to us like a stock crash or something. Like um, we have to look at it from a human perspective as opposed to just a – um, you know, a, a border. It's bo- It's a borderless issue, which is kind of rare. I mean, yes. outside of war, 
it's the only thing that we kind of look at each other and say we're all struggling with the exact same thing and and, mm-hmm. and to mourn it mourn through it um, things like holding vigil uh, privately but then like things like this I've never done things like Skype or Zoom or group even group phone calls is pretty rare for me so learning how to integrate that into this kind of uh, space is important I think churches can do that too churches mm-hmm. can choose to either acknowledge it or ignore it and uh and really settle into the loss. Um, and that's what today's about, right? I mean, you had mentioned when you opened it up, Brian, that today's Holy Saturday. It's that sitting in darkness, hoping that resurrection was true, uh, waiting to see what happens tomorrow. Uh, so those kind of things, I mean, integrating that in, I mean, I we didn't do any kind of the, the holy uh, days growing up, not in the AG movement. Um, and so now, like, hanging out with Methodists and all my Catholic friends and stuff, this is so heavy. And it's important that it's heavy, like, that all the lights go out, you know. Uh, so I think that's that's the church kind of response. Um, and then, as a country, maybe the... I mean, that's that's maybe that's just as hard as a church. Because I keep thinking church, like, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, progressives, are we talking about? All Protestants, Catholics and Protestants... You know, other religions, I mean, it's kind of a, it, it can get bigger and bigger in a response, but mm-hmm. uh, as a nation, I think uh, maybe it's the same thing, you know, acknowledging that it's really happening and, and then mourning it publicly. Uh, of course, public is, is this kind of thing now. It's a weird, the language is changing, you know. Yeah, totally. Because we can't go out and hang out with each other. <laughs> right. And I feel like it's tough to figure out how to how to recognize it and lament things on the same page, whether you're looking at it as a church or just as a country, because it's affecting everyone differently. Uh, like Brian and I, as far as I know, we don't know of anyone personally who's affected by it, who, um, you know, has been confirmed that they have the virus. Um, we have some people that we know, you know, maybe like cousins or, you know, friends who, who maybe work like in the medical field, but not, but not like anyone super close. So there's not anyone that we would normally have a day to day with that, that we know that's affected. And Brian and I have recognized that we know this is speaking out of um, privilege that, you know, for him to still be working and getting paid and yeah, you know, I'm a stay at home mom, but before that I had one shift at my job, you know, like one afternoon a week. And so that's not a huge like financial, um, you know, thing against us or anything. And so we've been able to have time to like reconnect and, and just spend time together as a family, get some things done. Um, and so our experience is completely different than someone who may have, you know, lost their job and, or they're an essential worker and then now they don't know what to do with their kids because their kids are home or they're someone who's affected and ha- and has the virus or they know someone. So everyone's, everyone's experience and perspective on this is different. And I think it's, it's easy to kind of, kind of almost forget the, the severity of it when, when you're kind of more removed, you know, from, you know, from like the grasp of like this, this virus and everything. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's tough when you're on, on different pages to, to figure out a way, but I think at least acknowledging that we're all going through this differently. We're all affected, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, differently. And however people are responding is valid. If people are going to the store with, you know, they're staying at least a six feet, you know, getting groceries, but they're not wearing like gloves or a mask or anything. And then the person behind them has hand sanitizer, gloves and masks, and they're just super cautious and almost kind of jumpy if someone gets within 10 feet of them. Like, instead of just thinking like, oh, wow, they're being, you know, really paranoid. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if, you know, someone, you know, close to them is um you know already has health issues and it could be more susceptible and they're wanting to be overly cautious so i think you know just realizing that how everyone feels you know is valid there's no right or wrong way to feel about it because 
it's not like this is a normal thing to go yeah. through. Mm-hmm. So it's not like like we really know or expect what to do. That's a great point. That's really well put. That's a whole new experience. And I, I like the layers you laid out of, of like from the person that just goes because it's what they do. You go to the, the you go to the the store and you get your you know bread or whatever, and then there's a person right next mm-hmm. to you that's like you know covered and really really. Um, focused on their own health and, and their their contact. Uh, I know down here we've got major hospitals. We've got a whole ton of um, folks that are uh, from out of the country because of the colleges that we have here. Um, we're, we're like two hours from the, not two hours, we're like an hour from the border. Um, and it's everything. I mean, everything from young people with no coverage at all to Amanda and I will put you know mask on and go. Like this morning she went out and went to the farmer's market. We picked up all of our groceries and things. And, you know, any given moment, there's every type of person that's having that reaction to, mm-hmm. you know, from from a, um, you know, heavy coverage to it's really not a big deal. I mean, that's the whole spectrum is, is there. And it, I'm sure up there where y'all are at too, you know. And I feel like that's the same with any, kind of going back with any, you know, type of lament that everyone's going to experience it differently and you have to recognize that how everyone experiences it is valid. Um, And one thing that I told Brian earlier today that I told him would be um, a good thing to share, you know, tonight and for us to do is, you know, maybe something important that people, you know, should consider doing is whether you want to do it around now or once you know all the stay at home and social distancing has kind of like calmed down and things are I don't want to say getting back to normal because who knows if things will go back exactly how it was but to the new normal is you know maybe people consider sitting down and writing themselves a letter about how they experience it and lamenting things and I don't know if Brian mentioned it before I hopped on but when we were talking earlier today you know, people could be lamenting because they lost loved ones because, you know, they're an essential, you know, employee, they're a nurse and, you know, they're just in the thick of this, you know, for hours. Or it could be something that's not that may be, be seen as a little bit more trivial of uh, like lamenting, not being able to like go out to movies and restaurants with your friends or going out to see you know, baseball games or, you know, just like a number of things. There's, or like you see people, you know, posting things of like, oh, the the seniors, whether it's high school or college, but especially high school, like they're missing out on their prom and their graduation. And, but then you hear people say, well, different wars that, you know, our country has been a part of, you know, those high school seniors, you know, they were fighting for their country. They had to give up all this stuff. And yes, it does put things in perspective, but you're always going to have someone or a situation that is worse than what you're going through. That doesn't mean that what you're going through is not a valid feeling. Absolutely. And and so, I mean, if it helps some people and I'll probably do this myself is, yeah, just writing down, you know, things about your experience with this and if someone wants to keep that letter or, you know, in, in a safe way, like burn the letter or, you know, do whatever. But just to get all of that out or if someone's more comfortable doing something like this of recording it or doing a video of, you know, them talking about it. But even if it's not out there for other people, but it's out there, you know, for yourself, because, I mean, Brian and I were lucky enough to be, you know, quarantining at home, you know, with our daughter and with our cat. And um, we have neighbors that live across the hall that if we need to on like our shared porch, do like a social distancing like them on one end and us on the other. But we can at least see each other. We can do that where that's a good idea. Both of, I love that. That's yeah, so that's cool. cute. But bo- both of our moms, they they live alone. And so. Uh, my mom lives um, very close within like 10 minutes of my brother. So they're able to drop stuff off and just talk to her through the door. Um, and tomorrow for Easter, they're actually going to bring over some of the food that they're making. Um, so she can share that they can share that, you know, with my mom. But, you know, I told Brian, even simple things of people who are, you know, whether it's a month, two months, however long, you're kind of more like self-quarantined at home. 
just the simple things of not being able to hug another person, you know, even just that simple physical touch, a hand on the shoulder, you know, for like two months and, you know, all those things that you take for granted. And so there's, I mean, there's all these things that we probably don't even think of that, you know, that, that we still have because we're in a, a, share, a household with each other that, you know, you have people that, that are living alone and, you know, there's a whole, whole list of other things for them. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, my grandma's in, uh, lives in Beeville, Texas, which is like an hour away from here, hour north of here. And, uh, she's going through the first stages of Alzheimer's and things like that. And, and, uh, she decided on her own after multiples of us have said like, you need to relook at this living on your own thing. She's fiercely independent. And, um, and her sister though lives in, in the inner city part of Beeville. She lives in the country. And something had happened to her, and she said, I think I'm going to go live with my sister. She did it all on her own. I'm using quotations because we had been suggesting it for like six months. And when this this had happened, our first thought was, man, thank God that she's living with her sister. You mm-hmm. know, that she decided to move in with her, and uh, it was the right timing, you know. And she's not she's not alone. She's not by herself watching mm-hmm. watching uh, unfortunately like CBN and <laughs> trying to mm-hmm. you know pray away the virus and stuff. And she's uh, she's got somebody that she can have that contact with. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah. That that uh, it's hard to. I don't know how I would react if it was just me in the apartment. You know. Mm-hmm. Totally we have two cats, and that's been super helpful. Like having cats around and like. You know, and then of course Amanda and I being able to just share the space and learn learning what that's like too of uh, you know how not to get on each other's nerves and how to yeah. like respect privacy and space um, when we're here the whole time like it's not kind of a nonstop mm-hmm. we're only here so um, and how we're mourning how we're both mourning the experiences of this virus right like uh, we have family that are not in Texas. And we have family that are as close as like a two minute drive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I should answer since I asked the question. <laughs> um, speaking at least from the church, I don't I mean, we can do it communally to an extent. Like Carly, you said earlier, like having vigil vigils, whether you do that even at your own personal you know, place where you live or having you know, doing it at the church. I mean, I know I can't tell you how many people I know on my Facebook feed that are in ministry and everything is always like, Oh, come check out our live stream. Come check out our live stream or we're going to be on Instagram live or on Twitter. And that's great. But so they're doing that like same old, same old, but it's like, I've, mm-hmm. I've almost fa- I've yet to see a church really saying this is, we're going to hold like a vigil for, what's happening in our in, in this world what not just in our community because like we've all agreed like th- this is unprecedented like it, it's not just like you know to our own country or individual states it's the whole world you know over a hundred and some countries i think it's like 150 or 60 countries are dealing with this and it's unprecedented what we what we've done but as quote-unquote most of us who are part of sacred collective are christians and i know not all everyone is but I feel like as a church or people of faith, we were doing a piss poor job, and even myself included, of of helping out. I mean, there's a ton of churches here locally that are opening, you know, maybe not opening their doors, but, you know, will have an excess of food because a lot of food shelves um, aren't, aren't, you know, like, you know, we have our friend Josh who him and his wife work at a food shelf up here, different food shelves. And he always reaches out to me and be like, we don't even know what to do with this food because mm. everyone, you know, you can't come in and get it, but we're putting it outside, like out, like in front of the church. But yet mm-hmm. people are like, why is all this food sitting out here? Yeah, is yeah. it for me? <laughs> is it not? And so you're having even issues with that. Um, so it, I, do I have a magical answer for how do we do that corporately? No. And I don't think anyone does, but I do. My, I guess my plea would be that the church... I don't know, kind of steps up. And this is regardless of what, you know, kind of stripe you want to be with in Christianity. I don't care if someone's conservative all the way to like super left field leaning. 
is we need to, yes, have time ourselves personally to mourn mm-hmm. and, and to deal with it and to lament. But I think we, I think the world would be especially moved corporately as a, as a faith if we are like, hey, not only are we going to give you food, um, water, whatever, but also, um, you know, churches making masks. Like I know my mother-in-law, Amanda's mom, um, she's actually making masks. Like the church, it, the church she's a part of um, actually is paying her to make these masks so that they can give it to the to the health professionals in their community. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And their community is only about cool. their community is only about three thousand people. Mm-hmm. But still, it doesn't matter if you're in a town of one or in a city of three million people. I mean, people are people, and so it's great that churches and things are doing that. And I, I don't get me wrong, and I'm sure a lot of churches are doing that. But I I I just hope and and pray that that churches can you know stand up and be like no we need to mourn the situation that's happening and then i guess flipping that to like corporately how do you deal with that as like let's just say our country um i i think we've all said it here i'm sure we've like i know a man and i have talked about it i'm sure we've all had private conversations with people or ourselves i don't think our world's ever going to be and especially our country is ever going to be the same from this obviously it's a historical point in history where we'll look back like i know in our daughters like our age she'll be like i was living through this whole covid19 pandemic yeah you were a little kid she'll be like what's tiger king yeah <laughs> <laughs> Boo. um no yeah no we could save her from that yeah, yeah, save yeah. From that. I, I did not watch that that was terrible i'm going to it's a rite of passage with covid i actually uh read uh, listened to the podcast like a year ago when it came out anyway so old news fake news to me no um (laughs) but how you deal with corporately is is like as a nation like i was telling amanda i said i've been reading a ton of like things like uh you know on the internet of like we might not ever like high five or shake hands anymore with people or you know people are going to be afraid of hugging you know some of the stuff might change you know people might not for the next number of years might not even want to go like on bigger vacations that are going to be nervous like oh is this thing going to come back is this thing going to catch you know because like my mom i was talking to my mom about this and she's like yeah i was a little kid when the polio vaccination came out and people were deathly afraid of like polio because i mean it was very contagious but now when we look at polio we're just like oh yeah no we have the vaccine you know vaccine for that that's fine but she's like, it took number of years after they got that vaccination in the 50s for people to, you know, to get back to normal. And she's like, that is what's literally going to happen in this world mm-hmm. now is it's going to take us a number of years for us to even get back to any kind of normalcy. And even if we have normalcy, what is that normalcy? There's going to be a new norm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a new normal. And I'm I'm scared, um, but I'm also excited to see what that could be. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, from a historical perspective, there's this idea of like social memory, and you, you're mentioning about like commenting on it and writing it down physically. Um, a lot of the history nerds that I follow, uh, of which I am in the club, um, have said a huge thing to do right now is to journal, uh, even daily, um, and because those things are what in 10 years historians are going to be like we need to know what an individual's experience was of this mm-hmm. on the daily basis and we don't think about it because we think like just earlier today somebody was um telling me about their reading they're having their kids read like helen keller we've read Anne frank we've read all these things that seem like they're so far away we can't relate to them maybe on a basic human level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um this is gonna we're in the moment that's gonna be that comment in you know 30 years you right, know like exactly uh, so yeah, it is important how we record it, what we say, and and, and how we pro. And the question then becomes if we're not really processing it, because like Brian, you had said like all these churches, and I've had I've had this in my brain for the last like two weeks of the quick. It may not be the best thing that we so quickly became pros, like all the like uh, the what are they, all the memes about, and all of a sudden we were all televangelists, you know, yeah, yeah. all the jokes, and we're quickly, and that's just part of like the process of grief is like make a joke really quick or like cover it up somehow but if we don't if we're not in the midst of processing it then our social memory is going to change we're not going to really be able to say 
because we won't remember exactly how we felt. Right. And so that that re- that recording element, um, both no pun intended, since we're recording, yeah, um, we're doing right now is is key. Yeah, it's key. That oral, this is a, this is a oral history. So I just wanted to drop that like kind of nerd element in and, and say, though I think that's important because we'll we will either have records that we pushed through it or that we you know we really lived through it and mm-hmm. full meaning of those two words. Or we all die. I think a a, a couple of uh, good quotes that, that I just found that I think would be good to share. Um, both of them are from the wonderful Mr. Fred Rogers. <laughs> who who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? Hell yeah. Oh, he's True. my hero, like for real. Yeah. Paved the way for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which our daughter is obsessed with. But yeah, Ava loves it's another story. <laughs> so one of the quotes is... In times of stress, the best thing we can do for each other is to listen our ears and our hearts to be assured that our questions are just as important as our answers. Mm. So even though we're separated physically from each other, I think, especially with technology, it's more important now to be close to each other, to reach out to each other, not only our loved ones, but also, you know, strangers. And that could be our neighbor down the hall or down the street you know, or local small businesses that are still trying to hang on that, you know, we really need to, you know, find a way to check in with each other. Um, And the other quote is, it's one that I'm sure we've all heard before. Uh, He says, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would look to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Mm -hmm. And so I think... We all need to consider our are we in a position where we can be the helper or where we're the person who needs to be helped and find a way to put that out there. And and I know if people need help with things, whether it's um, whether it's for health reasons, um, if your immune system's more compromised and you're just deathly afraid of going outside and getting groceries or, you know, even, you know, going to your mailbox or anything like that, uh, you know, it's tough to ask for help, but trying to find ways to, to ask for help because there are helpers. There are people that want to help you, even if they're complete strangers. And if you're in a situation where you can help someone, then, you need to put that out there, whether it's people you know that you're connected to through social media or um, different apps like the uh, what's it called, like the next door app or different ones where you can connect with people that are just in your community. I've seen countless people on the next door app that, you know, are posting and saying, oh, I'm going to the store uh, like someone posted recently. I'm going to the store if there's. Anyone that needs anything from the grocery store, you know, if I can find it, let me know. If it's under $30, don't worry about it. I'll cover the cost and drop it off at your place. You know, if it's over, we'll figure something out. Or people who are like, I cleared through my kids' stuff. I found all these extra toys. I'll leave them on the porch. Anyone needs anything for their kids or, you know, there there are those people that are reaching out even if they don't have anything extra even if it's just as much as cleaning out, you know, your kids overflowing, you know, closet of toys and, you know, stuff like that, which you might think, oh, that's not really, that's not an important thing. Well, it might not be important to you, but it's important to someone else. Yeah. And so, so yeah, we just need to look and see if, if we're the one who needs help, find a way to reach out and, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Or if you're in a position to help, help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the the whole economy is changing in that way too. Like what mm-hmm. we're considering uh, value. And like Amanda, uh, we have we were one of the things we've done that wasn't just like trying to beef up uh, and stay busy was uh, she worked on our we have, we live in an apartment, a second floor apartment, so we have a patio in the front and in the back, and and we have like a really nice garden area. But we grow aloe vera, and it just was like crazy overgrown. And so she went in and broke it up and, and separated it all. And we had like like something like 17 or 19 individual plants from this one like mm-hmm. mother plant. And so she put it on Facebook and she's like, does anybody want one? And so then that's like 20 points of contact that people were like immediately like, please, I'd love that because I need it for like cuts and scrapes. Yeah. Um, 
And some people like traded us for like other plants or some people were like, oh, let me get your lunch or, you know, like whatever uh, would happen. It became this kind of cool bartering moment where we don't have, you know, nobody has extra right now of anything. But then all of a sudden there's this like there's this exchange that can happen. Um, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's, it's pretty incredible to see how we uh, what we're what we're calling things of value now. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love the people people helping people and that kind of practical, pragmatic humanism kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. from all sorts of walks of life or or, or belief systems. You know, I, I don't think that humanism necessarily has to be exclusively uh, labeled with any sort of faith system or, or, or uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, with atheism, it's usually like you have to be an atheist to be a humanist kind of thing. But I, I think expanding our our definition of that term could be helpful. You know, because that's just right. beautiful. That's just community people helping people. You know. Yeah. yeah, I think there should be a restoration of that, like Christian humanism. Absolutely, I would consider myself a Christian humanist for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, we should probably start wrapping up because we've been almost going for an hour, which is fantastic. It was earlier in the evening. I would say let's talk longer, but <laughs> I think Brian, you started snoring halfway through. I think. Yeah, if you heard me snoring, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. No. Um, well, no, and and like our friend of the podcast, who's she attends when she can angela um she had said the greatest thing because she doesn't classify herself as a christian she classifies herself as an atheist but one thing she said one of our earlier on um times that we got together to actually podcast a couple years ago is she's like i don't i'm not nice to people or i don't do things for people because it's like a notch in my belt like when i was a christian you know you're like oh i fed the poor i worked at a soup kitchen uh you know not on my back but because I'm a human, human helping another human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she said that. And I, I mean, not every time I see her, but a lot of times I will just be like, you know, that was probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten from someone. And yes, in the back of my mind, I knew that. But just for someone to point blank say it and say like, hey, we don't need to be, be kind to one another because we're a Christian, but we should be kind to one another because we're human beings and we're mm-hmm. in this, we're in this together. And I mean, that's my last two cents that I want to say is especially, yeah, dealing with lament. We didn't really go into Holy Saturday, which is fine, but that's cool because this will come out after Holy Saturday. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, just being, being kind to one another, being, you know, regardless of faith, regardless of whatever. And like Harley, what you said, just even with that, like aloe vera plant, having those contacts, having those points, just, It'd be kind of cool to like almost be not fully like in a barter system, but like, hey, I have toilet paper. I'm out of pasta. Can we can we trade? Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe some of that will happen. But just being kind to one another, because for the sake of being humans, we're all humans. We all we're all different. We might not all like each other, but yet we're all this flesh and bone. And and I think if anything, once we get through this, because things will get back to normal. But I think not just America, but I think our whole world is gonna just like step back and be like okay we're in a post you know when 9-11 happened everyone was like oh we're now we're in a post 9-11 world but now we're gonna be like this is a post you know COVID-19 this is a post pandemic Mm -hmm. world how are we gonna deal with that and I think I think you're gonna have I mean you're still gonna have people who are assholes to each other but I, (laughs) I I do think that for the sake of I don't know maybe that's just my innate goodness I see in people but I think you're going to have a lot more people, you know, stepping up to the plate and just being kind to one another. Right. Totally. Drop us with that verse, Caleb. All right. This is Psalm 13. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, oh, Lord, my God. Nice. Pretty sad. Yeah. Harley, do you have any closing thoughts you want to throw out to us? Um, so I keep thinking, because we, we had we mentioned a whole lot about, uh, we haven't used the word isolation a whole lot. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some of that because all three, all of us here have some other that's immediately in contact with us. But my, my big hero uh, that I study a whole lot is Thomas Merton, and he talked about um, the fact that people would judge him as a monk because they felt like he was just tra- like t- turning his back on the world because he would he would be in the monastery in Kentucky and he would say 
uh, his response was always, no, 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 it's my job to be separate enough that I can pray and focus and really feel things so that when I come out, I'm able to fully respond to the world, to actually what's happening in the world. Because we're in the middle of the shit, we can't, like, really respond to it because we're part of the flow of it. And so maybe in a monastic kind of way, um, those of us that are in isolation, whether with another person, a group of people, like a family, or uh, lots of people live with roommates and others, mm-hmm. uh, we can take that as some advice that uh, when we when we go back into the world as it was or as it will be from now on, um, this time we can really think about what's actually happening and respond with patience and, and imagination. So Fantastic. That's kind of my last two cents. I think something I have to to wrap up my thoughts is uh, again it's our world I feel like in our home is greatly centered around, around Daniel Tiger's neighborhood mm-hmm. with our toddler but uh, she was it didn't have anything to do with this virus this was I don't know like three four weeks ago and I don't know if it was just because she wanted to keep playing a game on her tablet or she wasn't ready to go to bed or overtired or whatever reason. But um, we were climb, we were getting her ready for bed, you know, getting her snuggled in and, you know, reading her, getting ready to read her bedtime stories. And she looks up at us and says and says to me, she says, Mama, she's like, it's a tough day in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. And. And I was like, Ava, you don't know how how true that is, like how <laughs> deep and profound that, you know, it. If, if you think about your own neighborhood and collectively our country or the world is, you know, like our neighborhood, like it's a tough day, you know, every day in the neighborhood, some days or for some people it may be, you know, more tough. But, but you know, she said that and I feel like it just pops into my mind you know, once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. And like if I'm getting a little kind of like either antsy or just kind of like just feeling like even literally trapped, you know, in our home that just pops into my mind. Mm-hmm. It's good. a difficult day in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Caleb, how about you? Do you have any other little things? No, not really. Um, I'll just use my my little verse as my wrap up. How about that? Sounds, Sounds good. good. Uh, I want to thank everyone for jumping in, and um, this went a totally different direction than what before we started recording. But that's that's what's great about podcasting. I think it went where it needed to go. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it went where it needed to go, um, and it was fantastic. And Harley, jump on whenever you want. We always appreciate your insights. And like Caleb said at the onset, like being part of Sacred Collective Community Revolution Community. Uh, I know we couldn't thank you enough for for being a part of it, and we love that you're a part of it. So keep on keeping on, man. Yeah, likewise, my my pleasure. It's been it's been fun. It's really good to process this with everybody, and, and this is probably one of the first times I've uh, kind of in a group talked about it. Uh, so that's yeah, wonderful. This is great. That's good. All right, guys, stay safe, and until next time. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN.
If you like that, you might enjoy the Loosen the Bible Belt podcast with Jay Baker and me, Kristen Becker. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but I saw clips of Joe Lo, and she's 50, and then I realized... Uh, Wait, hold on, Dad. It's J-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Lo. Joe, sorry. That was a post-Christian podcast. Woo! <laughs>